0: Welcome to the CurveBeam AI Cast, bringing you the future of orthopedics and bone health.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Lou Schoen, orthopedic surgeon, director of Orthopedic Innovation for Mercy Medical Center, professor of orthopedic surgery at Hopkins Johns Hopkins University and NYU University. I'm here today in Las Vegas at the AAOS meeting to uh, talk to you about weight-bearing CAT scan. What's that? Waker and Catskin is a great new technology that is uh, changing the way we're going to do diagnostics and therapeutics and orthopedics. And today, I'm privileged to be invited to host a podcast on CurveBeam, AI Connect, with the innovators behind this technology. And so it gives me great privilege to introduce you to Cesar de Cesar Dineto. Neto, assistant professor of orthopedics at University of Iowa, and soon to be associate professor of orthopedics at Duke University. He's one of the innovators behind the use of this technology in the lower extremity. And uh, we're very privileged to have him here today. And I'd like to ask you at first uh, a question, how did this all happen? Where did this start?
0: <laughs> I don't know. No, I actually know. So that's, uh, it's, it's a funny story. Um, so, uh, I, I, used to have a mentor and really my, my main mentor in the United States, my first and main mentor And uh, I came to do research in the United States about, um, 2014, early 2014. And then I brought up a study with me. Uh, that was a lab study, kind of translational research study, but I wanted to do more. So I, I, I got to him and said, uh, what, what else can I do? And then he told me. Well, wow, that's great that you're asking that because we have a lot going on. So you go to my office. Your your mentor was some guy. Do I know him? Well, uh, I'm not sure. Okay. No, not sure. Maybe. I probably don't maybe, know him. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so then I get to this office, very well organized office, but uh, uh, there there was like a whiteboard there. He uh, said, all my studies that are going on are in that whiteboard. So you go there, you look at it and you pick. Anything that you want to take the lead, and it's yours. And I felt, oh, that's great. He's very, you know, accommodative and uh, and opening doors, right? But I went there, very exciting. And then, like the whiteboard was a mess. It was the only mess inside the office, but there was tons of words there, like Achilles, um, flat foot, and then in, in between those led, the, the 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 words, I found weight bearing CT. Yeah. And then I said, well, what, is, what is that? I didn't know that it was a possibility to have a weight-bearing cell, CT with weight. So I said, I always like radiology. So I said, that's it. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I love it already. And it was shocking to me
1: that you were drawn to that because you were a PhD candidate. You had done this training in Brazil at the best institution in Brazil, maybe in South America. And here he was coming to do a PhD in some basic biology on tendon healing. And of all the things that jumped out of that mess, it was the weight-bearing CT. And that was a project that was presented to me through a collaboration with Johns Hopkins University, one of the innovators in this technology who had developed one of the weight-bearing CAT scans, said, will you help me with this? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah. But I'm interested, but I don't even know where to begin. So I put it on the list and then it just jumped right out at
0: you. So tell me. Well, you just just told them that that you were the mentor. Are you the mentor? It was me. It was you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh, feedback. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I was that mentor. But uh, the best thing about being a mentor is that I just present uh a smorgasbord, board a a open display of things and if you get the right protege they just it just it just comes to them they pick the one they pick the wand right from from right from the stories Harry Potter so um anyway so this is brilliant guy he comes in he sees the way He CT what is that gonna tell me uh about this project Suddenly, I'm more interested in the project because he picked the project. Why did you pick the project and what does it mean for our
0: current practice in the future? Yeah, well, long, long question. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the reason I think it was really meant to be, I really think it was, uh, and I, I think it was blessed blast uh, to, to pick that one specifically. And I think it was important for us to start uh, moving with the technology forward. Uh, so we when, when we looked at it, we started, we said, uh, how are you going to use it? And then we decided that flat foot was the way to start, right? Because as we know, flat foot, if you put weight, the deformity should get worse. However, um, we knew that for x-ray, but we didn't really know if we put weight, it would change the measurements or change the alignment for flat foot. So we started to, we decided to go step by step. So we decided to go uh, prove the obvious first. And I think it should be the. The, uh, that should be the way for any new technology. So our first study was very simple. Uh, it was getting a cohort, a prospective cohort of flat foot patients uh, that we brought to the bearing CT and we did measurements uh, with and without the weight. And we demonstrated that, yes, when you put the weight, uh, the deformity gets worse. And that was the, the big start uh, for uh, uh, com- combined to prior data. That was already in the literature with simulated weight bearing, including uh, some aspects of what is called peritoneal subluxation. That was a, a revolution in terms of really pushing forward. If we if we compare the concepts or um, the treatment of how we're looking to the treatment and classification and uh, assessment of flat foot deformity currently, and back in 2014, is already completely different. It's it's literally. Wave varsity allowed with several publications from different authors, including ourselves. Um, it allowed to really change the the assessment in the treatment of a, a very prevalent foot and ankle disorder.
1: Now, a lot of people say, uh, this is new, it's a great toy, you know, it's research. How is this going to affect my practice? How is it gonna help me and my patients? And uh, they're they're you know a little bit puzzled because they've seen this happen before, and sometimes it's a it's a, a puff of smoke, but like with MRI, we suddenly learned that there was value, but sometimes there wasn't as much value, but certainly there was value. But in weight bearing CT, people are still questioning it. So, where what what is what is what is unique about weight bearing CT versus like the MRI introduction? that should make people more interested in this technology and thinking about how it will be good for
0: them, for their patients and, and their practices. Yeah, well, I think there's a, there's a good thing that we call it weight bearing CT and there's a bad thing that we call it weight bearing CT because of course, particularly for foot and ankle surgeons, uh, but, all, but for all lower extremities particularly, the weight is mandatory, right? That's a question for any resin in the boards, OIT, whatever it is. If you present an X-ray that has no weight, the first thing that the resident needs to say is, "Give me weight-bearing X-rays," right? So uh, for the weight-bearing CT is the same. So the weight uh, is uh, is important, but I think it underestimates uh, the 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 potential uh, of the technology, right? The real name is cone beam CT, so it's a different way of applying uh, CT imaging uh, that comes with much lower uh, uh, radiation dose. Uh, compared to conventional CT, uh, for example, uh, on average, if you have a CT of the of the chest versus a CT a, a cone BCT of the foot and ankle, it's actually f- minimal difference is 40 times. So a chest CT is 40 times more radiation. Um, so it's important for all the providers and patients to know that the radiation dose is much smaller, right? So it's it's uh, we should be calling cone BCT, and then you can do it. We Uh on standing situation, I think it's very important, but it's it's not the only thing, right? It's a new way of quick way of getting CT scan for orthopedic pathologies of the lower and upper extremity in a standing position. It's an X ray. You can do non weight bearing as well, but well, we we all know that what we're looking at is three dimensional. But
1: when we look at X rays, it's two dimensional, and then when you do so, we know that. CAT scan, and MRI, gives us that dimensionality. But this is almost like a fourth dimension because it's like a stress test. We're seeing the effect of something else on that three-dimensional object. And we could do weight-bearing, non-weight-bearing. We could do side-to-side comparisons. But I think that um, what we also, as you mentioned, need to know is that it's also a conventional way to, to get CAT scans. So if I have a fracture, we don't know it's healed. We have a a non-union of a subtelial joint. We don't know it's healed. Whether we get weight-bearing or not, it's not as important in that case. Let's get a CAT scan, and we can get it right there with less radiation. Fantastic. And you can get it in your office. Also fantastic. Patient comes to see you, especially during COVID. We couldn't send people out to a facility, into a hospital, and have them be exposed to diseases and uh, other Uh, restrictions. You could get this in the office. So just as a CAT scan alone, non-unions, mal-unions, post-operative situations, you can get it right there in the office. But let's specifically go back to the weight-bearing CAT scan for the flat foot and then maybe for other deformities. So when we are picking uh, a test to look at for our, our patients with a progressive collapsing foot deformity. Weight-bearing x-rays, great. We could get lots of different styles of weight-bearing x-rays. Why would we be compelled to get a weight-bearing CAT scan? What is that going to tell me that I'm not getting from my weight-bearing x-rays, specifically
0: in the progressive collapsing foot? Yeah, well, like I said, that is where I believe the literature has changed uh, more significantly. Uh, So, I mean, number of papers, I would say close to 100. Just for progressive collapsing foot deformity, it actually influenced uh, the, the the proposal of the different terminology from adult wide flat foot deformity to progressive collapsing foot deformity. Was a lot based on this uh, new findings that City allowed us to investigate better.
1: So, so for example, going through that classification system, we are fine tuning what we're seeing. At the hind foot, at the midfoot, in at the ankle, and as a totality with the new classification system. And the weight bearing CAT scan gives us insight that you can't get with x-rays, specifically go through the go through the the things that we're looking at. A, B, C, D.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there were some parts of the deformity that we could see well in the X-ray. We can see it better in the weight bearing CT but you can see collapse of the longitudinal hearts, right? Uh, you can see a valgus foot valves, that would be the A, all right? So you can see, clinically, you can see it with the X-ray. And if you do a hindfoot foot alignment view in the X-ray, you can also see that. Uh, you can see the, the B, that would be a reduction, right? You leave an A-B X-ray. You can see much better with the wave variance CT from different views that you can get out of it. You could see the C, that is medial column, that I mentioned medial column collapse, and foot varus is actually a clinical finding. Uh, I, I also think you can see better with the Wave CT. However, the D, that is the new part of the classification, that I think it's gonna be a guiding treatment for progressive collapsing foot deformity in the next coming years. And, and D is Perry-Taylor subluxation. So this is a, 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 a,
1: an old thing that Bruce and Jorson introduced very early on, maybe 25 years ago, right? So he introduced it and people were like, what's he talking about? But now with the weight-bearing casket, he didn't have a weight-bearing casket. We could simulated. we had a simulated, but now we can see it. And, and tell me what we're looking at, what we specifically can see that you can't maybe see on the x-ray.
0: Yeah, so peritone subluxation means that the, uh, the, the, the foot is literally, literally subluxing or dislocating under the talus, right? Uh, so, when you, well, the, the weight bearing CT with the, particularly the coronal plane, I always say in my lectures, if there's one, if you want to be very simple, very, very simple in what weight bearing CT brought to foot and ankle surgery, is the coronal plane, right? Because you can't really see that well in x rays. And 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 what you're looking for is signs of subluxation of the uh, calcaneus under the talus, right? So, that's one of the signs of peritoneal subluxation. So, presence of uh, a subtalar joint subluxation that you can look either in the middle facet of the subtalar joint or the posterior facet of the subtalar joint, as well as as it rotates, as it subluxes, uh, you start having impingement. So sinus starts impingement on, uh, between the lateral process of the talus and the g angle of the calcaneus, plus the more severe one is subfibular impingement, that is the calcaneus hitting the fibula. Those, in my opinion, Subfibular joint subluxation, sinus tarsi beam, and subfibular beam will guide treatment for PCFD in the next coming years.
1: And if you are listening to this podcast, if you could imagine trying to see the middle facet of the posterior uh, aspect of the hind foot, the middle facet shifted. So how do you see that on X-ray? You can't see that. If you could maybe try to get an axial view, it's really hard to see. But what we see on the weight-bearing CAT scan, it blows your mind. You can see the whole calcaneus at the middle facet shifting laterally, leaving the talus hanging out there with nothing under it or half the calcaneus shifted laterally. It, that is very significant. Of course, it's not just interesting, it has relevance in treatment. And, and we're, we're helping to define that now, but certainly once you see it, then you can start to put it into your perspective of assessing that patient. And you can't see it well with any other technology. So let's let's talk about that a bit. So let's say we do see this, this uh, the Perry Taylor subluxation. Some people are saying, because of that, you need to fuse the joy. Is that always true? Is it not true? Do you do other things to save it? Let's touch on it briefly, just to show the power of this new visualization in terms of treatment.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we're learning more about it, right? Because before we're not even getting weight-bearing CTs pre-operatively, uh, to do it postoperatively operatively also uh, comes with, uh, with, uh, with some pressure for insurance and, and, and uh, personnel and uh, logistics, right? Uh, I use for my all my patients preoperative and postoperative three, six, twelve months, and then yearly after that. Uh, but we're learning; there's, we're doing more and more postoperative weight bearing CTs. Um, we just, I just this morning presented one of the studies where uh, an, it an award-winning study happens to be, uh, and uh, very humble and uh, and and, and uh, happy with the opportunity. Uh, what we did was I started prospectively looking into. Uh, what is the relationship? Number one question was, can we really, when you do surgery or a traditional uh, uh, joint preserving, hind foot joint preserving surgery in progressive collapsing foot deformity, do you make it better? I mean, can you correct peritoneal subluxation or just pretending that we're doing it? That was question number one. And we can't even see that to begin with.
1: And now you're gonna see it after your intervention. And 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 be able to see the effects and and not just short term, but also long term, does this actually save the joint, which can
0: save a patient tremendous function? So this is this is mind blowing. Mind blowing. Yeah. And then the second was like, uh, if our patient reported outcomes are improving, is the improvement correlated with the improvements? The potential improvements in the uh, sub tailored or the the, the subluxation, yes or no? So in summary, what we found was that um um and like I said, prospective with about 26 patients, uh we found that yes, uh we can correct peritylar subluxation uh of both the posterior facet, the middle facet, the interfacet. We can decrease a lot uh, uh, the sinus the impingement. We didn't have a lot of subfibular impediment, so we didn't analyze subfibular impediment specific. Uh, And thanks God, because I'm the surgeon, so if the patient-reported outcomes were not going up, then then I would feel bad. So the patient-reported outcomes did go up, and there was a direct correlation between uh, uh, patient-reported outcomes and overall three-dimensional correction. What is that? Can you bring your foot under your ankle, right? Can you do that at the end of your surgery? And the second thing, there's also uh, a significant correlation between patient-reported outcomes and uh, correction of parathetism.
1: So it's not only the structural part that you're giving yourself a high five on, hopefully, but the patient is actually doing better and you're correlating it with the degree of deformity correction. It's something that we haven't been able to do. And uh, I think that's interesting because, for example, in hips, we we know that there's impingement uh you know ephemeral acetabular impingement uh we know that there's impingement in the ankle with like early arthritis in the athlete that's a different type of impingement here because what actually why is that why is that different because people say like we did all these studies on the hip we did all these studies on the ankle it's impingement and we got all these studies it didn't really make a difference why does this form of impingement make a difference, what is different about this form of impingement and what does it mean in terms of diagnosis, treatment, and outcome?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's completely different from other impingement, even though it's still an ticular impingement. Uh, there are studies, including uh, one of my team, where we were able to show that the, the impingement is directly correlated with the amount of peritale subluxation. So as the subtalar joint dislocates or subluxes, Subluxates, uh, the the amount of impingement or the frequency of impingement the severity of the impingement also uh, uh, goes up, right? So different than the hip and the and the ankle, for example, where impingement happens or can happen. Most of the time, happens with a with a a a, a, a perfectly positioned joint with no subluxation uh, in in the subtalar joint or peritalar subluxation the impingements are happening as a result of the foot de- rotating under the talus and subluxing. If you don't have peritoneal subluxation, the impingements will not happen in the majority of the patients. You could have impingement in the same areas by for different reasons, but in PCFD or a progressive collapse foot deformity, it's totally correlated with the amount of joint subluxation.
1: Okay, so let's take it to real practical level. So I'm a surgeon in the middle of the US. I'm a foot and ankle guy. I've read your stuff, I've read other people's stuff, I've heard about it, and I'm looking at these angles and I'm saying, what is he, crazy? I'm having trouble even measuring on the regular x-rays all these lines. It's overwhelming, how do I do this? And then how am I gonna take that information and make sense of it? It's too much information. Is it too much information, one? Is it easier to use that information with AI or with, with some things that are happening in the curve beam technology. Um, and, uh, can it be that I don't have to really measure it? Can I get a gestalt? Can I get a, a holistic view and
0: still be able to move forward with that information? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and of course that needs to happen. Right. Uh, so when we're doing all these crazy measurements and all these assessments, uh, I mean. Looking for uh, parent subluxation in a wavebasedity uh, data set is very easy, quick. you can just run through the coronal plane and you're gonna you're gonna get a, an, an idea. However, the more distinct measurements of what is the percentage of subluxation of the middle facet? what is the percentage of subluxation of the uh, posterior facet? Uh, what is the uh, uh, severity of the how close is the lateral process to the sinus stars and so on and so forth. Uh, that takes time, right? If're that's in a in a research setting, uh, we have time to do it, we sit down and we spend the time, but it it, it is time-consuming and, and everything, that, I mean, time is money, right? So if you're running a busy clinic, you're not going to have that time to go and measure the specifics. Uh, so having an, a semi-automated or fully automated version of that um, is a mandatory step. However, people always say, why would I have that if it doesn't make any difference for my patients? So if we're showing that it does make a difference and we truly believe that it makes a difference. There's there's more to come, there's more that we need. We're not completely uh, finalizing in several other pathologies that we have to investigate better. But uh, if we're able, so that comes with a challenge, right? That is uh, number one, for measurements to be automated, first the software needs to identify the bones, right? And we're not, and a joke, but we're not as boring as a hit that has just two bulges. Uh, we have several bones. Uh, and uh, it was it was a, a very challenging thing for uh, human beings or engineers or uh, the uh, developers or innovators such as curvebean AI to to be able to do that, right? But now uh, we finally have options uh, of 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 the of, of the software that allow you to do automatic segmentation, right? So fully automatic segmentation. So you upload a data set. The computer is going to analyze all the bones, it's going to separate all the bones. That's the segmentation process. And once you have the bones separated, you have to generate axes, right? And uh, it's not easy uh, to generate axes for kind of strange bones, such as the tailors, for example. And so that comes with uh, a PhD engineering level expertise of how to find axes of complex bones. uh, They're not long bones. And that was also part of the technology of how to define those axes. Because for you to talk about relationships, you need to be able to localize in the three dimensional space where the bones are and what is the uh, relationship uh, between uh, each one of the bones. So once you have all that, then you can have measurements being performed by the software that of course needs to be fit, I'm fed by, uh, fed by uh, uh, more data sets. And, and so you need to, maybe this is true for one patient, but it's not true for the next patient. So you have to keep bringing more data sets and you need an artificial intelligence algorithm that will say, well, this was a little bit different than this one and this one, and this one, but the, the average sum up of all this is this, right? And that will get to the point. So sorry for the long answer, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a complex question uh, where if you're a surgeon and you say, "Well, now I do believe in this idea of the middle facet or or sinus impingement," so give me the measurement, and then you upload, and the measurement comes to you as a as a magic. But so so I I love what you said, but some people
1: are probably like, "Oh my God, this is a nightmare. Why do I want to touch this?" But the reality is, we're we're touching it. In a very scientific engineering perspective, as structural as you can be. But for the regular guy who's an orthopedic surgeon, he's got a three-dimensional artificial intelligence that's not artificial in his brain. And he can see it, right? You can see it. I could teach people what to look for. Can you teach people what to look for? And how often do you succeed in teaching them? We did a study and we showed that we could do that, but let's speak to that quickly. If you get these images, do I need Cesar Cesar Doneto and his PhDs in my office to give me those numbers or can I see it
0: quickly and know the next move? Yeah, no. Well, right now, uh, until recently, you you needed, you needed a, not necessarily a PhD, but you needed someone trained to use the software, trained to do the measurements, trained to uh, uh, understand what they're looking for. Uh, if we're talking about the need and gritty, the, the specifics of the man, like I said, you can quickly run through the weight-based CT and you can have a a very good idea of what's going on. You could see it without measuring it. Yeah. And you could say,
1: oh, that looks like it's five millimeters, right? You can do that. It doesn't yeah. Yeah. and is it, I think that's going to be okay. I mean, I think for researchers, for, uh, innovative clinicians. They need to know the specifics all this information is critical but for the regular guy in practice
0: can he make a quick assessment yes. definitely definitely and like I said for example if you're deciding for well, let's go back to the stain of in the pcFD uh if you're deciding should I fuse this patient uh should I uh, do uh, joint preserving procedures in the hind foot for example uh of course there's several factors uh, that come into uh discussion like the clinical exam is it is it flexible, is it rigid, do you have pain with range of motion, things like that. But if you run through the coronal plane, for example, and you see the subtalar joint has no arthritis, there's no arthritic findings in the subtalar joint, uh, posterior facet, middle facet, interfacet you do see impingements that you know you can correct when you correct the the, the deformity. Uh, Running through the, the images, you see subtalar joint subluxation, you see impingement, but you don't see arthritis, you should you should invest in that joint. That's my biased opinion. You should invest in that joint because it, it you mean you should work hard to salvage it. Right, right. Invest time and energy. It's worthwhile for the patient. Right. Yeah. Depending on other factors such as, such as such as age level of activity, uh flexibility, things like that. But yes, yeah, so you can eyeball it pretty quickly and and get a good idea of what you should do. And I think
1: that's important. So there's different levels of users of this information. And you could be a brilliant clinician and not be interested in research. But obviously, as a brilliant clinician, your decisions are informed by research that is scientifically based. But then when you come to use it, you don't have to be in the nitty gritty. You could get a a gestalt, a bigger picture, and take action based on the wisdom of the researchers. And I think you could see it without the measurements, but we want the measurements because we want to be very specific. So now I'm a, a, let's say you're a cl- clinician, you get that information. Now you look up the recipe, you know what to do, and then you know whether you did a good job. You could get the post-op cat skin, you could see the, hu- the fusion, you could see the alignment, You could correlate that with patient doing well. Oh, they're not doing so well, but they're still healing. It's okay. But a patient, the patient is part of this experience too. That's a certain, that the clinician enjoys this, but I have found that my patients love to see these images. Tell me, tell me about that.
0: Yeah, well, I think, I, I, I don't know how to translate it into English. You might help me with that. But one image is like, do you have that? Like an image he speaks for itself, right? right. Uh a picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, here we go. Here we go. That's it. That's it. That's what I was trying to say. It's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. In-, in Portuguese we say, we say, uh uma, uma figura suficiente para entendimento. Right, which is what I've said. But yeah. but not but I said it different. Well they translated you automatically. Yeah. My AI, yeah. The software actually.
1: But so the patients see this and you say to them, look. It looks like you're still healing. Uh, It looks like the alignment's good. We need a little more time for the healing. We're not expecting you to be out of pain yet. You need to give it more time. And the patient uh, patient appreciates that. And you can show them before and after. One of the best things is your beautiful animations. Even to demonstrate to them the pre-op, post-op vision of the surgery. It's mind blowing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one one uh, interesting thing to mention is kind of going back a little bit more to the basic, but with with the with the flat foot of BCFD, uh, that it's a good example of what you're saying is uh, it happened with uh, happened with all of us uh, at least once, uh, where you come to see a patient, uh, they're there because they have a, a painful flat foot, right? And uh, before we were using this new terminology, you would do like a 45 minutes, one hour consultation. You would look at the patient standing, uh, sitting, walking, and so on and so forth. And you would do all that assessment, like bring the foot here, bring the foot there, test musculature, test this, test that, that. And after 45 minutes, one hour, you you would say, well, what you have is a flat foot. And then the patient would say, yeah, Tell me something new. I always had a flat foot. Like I, I didn't stay here for an hour for you to tell me something that I already know, right? What is wrong with my foot? I always had a flat foot, it, it, it never it was, it was, never caused me symptoms and now it's hurting like crazy. I can't do anything, right? Uh, even though we don't have that information completely yet, uh, what probably happened between a flat foot that could be a normal morphotype of your foot or, or like your color of your hair, color of your eye, uh, You can have a flat, they're probably not having a flat foot. It's having a flat foot that is collapsing. It's a flat foot that is getting worse, right? And that is potentially, uh, can be, like I said, it's not entirely defined yet, but it could be explained by uh, peritator subluxation that before with the x-ray, we couldn't really see it. So when you show to a patient with a flat foot, instead of saying you have a flat foot after one hour, you say you have progressive collapsing foot deformity and your subtalar joint is subluxed. Look at this and then there's one bone here and the other bone is there, it's, and then it's a, oh, I see it. Now, patients
1: um, are, are now getting more aware of this technology, and some of them are very savvy. They've seen other patients, they've seen other providers, they've talked to other patients, and they realize this is a mess, you know, like, oh, what am I supposed to do? I, I read this thing online, I had a fusion, I had an osteotomy, I had a tendon, I had a lengthening, all sorts of things. They read, they're very confused. Do they come to you sometimes and say, I want you to get a weight-bearing cat skin? Please, please help me because I think this will help because it's I'm collapsed and nobody is giving me a clear answer. Do you find that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it happened uh, several times. Uh of patients reading and and following uh, the studies or 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 any uh, piece of, of of news or whatever it is about the waybar CG and connecting, uh, knowing that I, I I use it a lot. It's it's standard of care for my patients. So uh, of course, there's more I would say supported indications than others currently in terms of literature. But if you for me, I I I believe so much in the technology of how I can help me to answer questions to patients and treat them better, that if you come to see me, you're gonna have a weight baron CT. As a standard of care, I don't even do x-rays anymore for the majority of patients. The ma- Sometimes I do have to do it because the insurance would deny weight CT before they have an image. So I brought the number of conventional radiographs down to only two so I can get, because I know I'm gonna get the weight baron CT after anyways. So I do for for all my patients. And like I said, some patients come and say, I know you're looking into this three-dimensionally, and I would like you to assess my deformity three-dimensionally with a weight bearing.
1: Now you can get conventional images using the weight-bearing CAT scan because it is a, a three-dimensional X-ray acquisition. So you're you're it's not CAT scan, it's different CAT scan technology. So you do get pictures, you get images that look just like your conventional X-rays, correct? Yeah. you reconstructed radio rest. So I think this is very helpful. Now I'm going to change the sub- subject because you and I can probably talk about this for 20 hours maybe and just touch the surface. But like what what does this mean in terms of going forward for all the things that we've been doing in this topic based off of history, physical exam, x-rays, mrIs is this going to change everything, maybe it's going to support things, maybe it's going to refute things, but is this going to change everything in the literature? Is Are all the papers that we have going to need to be redone with weight-bearing
0: CAT scan? Yeah, I, well, I'm I'm truly biased with my passion uh, but and conflict as well, but yes, uh, in my opinion, yes. I'll give you an example again. So, when we started this, as you know, with that Innovator, right? Uh, the one with the, with the, uh, uh, with the, um, the whiteboard. Um, when we presented this in, in meetings, people would like look and say, What is this guy talking about? I mean, what is this? Because so, people don't, didn't even know it existed. Like, like I didn't know it existed when I went to the whiteboard, right? Uh, and so we started every single presentation was if he was using Weight CT, it was Weight CT assessment of this. Waybar CT assessment of that. barren CT wave Waybar CT that because it was it was the the real new thing, right? People started saying, "Well, let me see more about this." Now, uh, and it was uh, it was exception, right? It was the exception. Now, uh, a lot of studies are performed using waybar CT, and it's not even mentioned only in the methods. So, image was acquired using the barren CT. Blah 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 blah. blah. Not even mentioned in the title, not even mentioned in the abstract, not even mentioned anywhere, because it is slowly becoming the standard of care. Uh, And it's actually very interesting to see that for a year. Last year, I started going to meetings. And actually, when they don't use weight-bearing CT now, it's part of the limitations. They put in the limitations. Uh, Limitation of the study: this was not uh, performed using weight-bearing CT images. So let's go through, besides the progressive
1: collapsing foot deformity, we got bunions, hallux valgus with medial column instability without medial column, with arthritis without arthritis, sesamoid says my position relative to the metatarsal. This is big big area of research in foot and ankle weight-bearing cat scan, right? And already changing how we think about it. What are some other things that we look at? Let's march up the
0: foot. Yeah. Well, uh, I think for the foot, DCFD uh, is number 1 in terms of of talking about research uh, I would probably say that syndesmotic injuries is probably number two in terms of a uh, number of studies and quality of data. So, so picking up where the fibula is relative to the incisora, is it
1: translated anteriorly, posteriorly, laterally? Is it rotated? I mean, it's three-dimensional. You can't see this on the x-rays. And we've, we've blown our own minds, again, looking at the x-rays versus these weight-bearing CAT scans, comparison. Non-weight-bearing, weight-bearing, contralateral side, big game-changer, lots of good literature that does affect treatment. What
0: else you got? What else you got? And, and, and actually the differences are very small. A tenth of the millimeters for sinusmosis, for example, something that you can't really measure, even if you have the best gauge, the best software to measure an x-ray, a tenth of millimeters, is, it's, it's, too, it's too much. On a regular cat scan, a regular x-ray, regular x regular x-ray and and the weight barrier CT allows you to have that procedure. And, and why not just get a regular CAT scan there? Well, because the the, the weight uh, is important, right? It's, the, it's a stress test, it's a stress test, right? Yeah. And you can actually do more stress, right? You can ask patients to rotate about body internally and, and by consequence, rotating the, the foot externally and the, and the ankle externally, you can actually do, if you want, manual uh, stress as well. Uh, so it allows you to do more stress rather than just the weight. Uh, but going, going in the least, and number three is probably now Alex Valgus, right? Uh, uh, Alex Valgus is, uh, we, we think we get it covered, but we don't. It's actually, it's been a revolution like PCFD was. I think Wayber CT will revolutionize the treatment of Alex Valgus as well uh, because we're there. And so Alex Regis, as part of it, it's a, just a difference uh, in the pathology, but with uh, various uh, frequent similarities with Alex Valgus. So, for the foot and ink i would say those those four uh or uh, uh are the biggest ones what about the cavevera's foot kind of the corollary to the progressive collapsing foot let's talk about that as well well cavevera's is is coming uh there is probably around five publications in the literature um and i don't think we're as deep in terms of uh, of our understanding however it's if there's something more uh, complex than PCFD, Veras will be it, right? So it's so complex that I, I don't even think that we really, again, understand what's going on. So that, that is a very exciting area for research and, and for uh, improving
1: treatment. So like for the Veras foot, everybody knows first thing you're gonna think about is the Coleman Block test. So let's
0: talk about that on the weight-bearing CAT scan. Yeah, yeah, we actually have a study going on with uh, with the Coleman Block Test. And that is uh, actually the, 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 the primary investigator is Alec- Alexandre Leme Godoy Santos uh, from the uh, University of Sao Paulo, Brazil, where I, I did my medical training. Uh, and So he, they have been using the Coleman Block Test. So they bring the Cable virus patients uh, into the weight-bearing CT, you do a regular weight-bearing CT, we for wait out the, the, the Coleman Block, and then you check how much correction you get So instead of just looking to the hind foot and say, you can correct uh, the four driven hind foot varus by doing the traditional colon block test, you can actually see potentially, and that's the idea of the project is, is to, to say, how much correction do you need to bring the relationship of the bones and the cable to normality, uh, if, if that is possible? Of course, it depends on severity of the cable varus. Uh, If you have Charcot 8 tooth and you have a very severe cable of errors normality will not be achieved. But for mild, subtle cable of errors, that is a possibility. And I think studies like this uh, will provide enough information for us to go into surgery, having an idea of uh, how much correction you're aiming to get. And before we get into things like coming up with jigs
1: that then tell us exactly how to make this cut, So I have uh, a dropped first metatarsal and the weight-bearing CAT scan may say, oh, you may need five millimeters. Well, that could be translated into a jig that you could then print that allows you to put it on the bone patient-specific instrumentation that then allows you to get a very accurate cut of the bone to correct it in the manner that you had seen it on the CAT scan. We're not going to talk about that. I just wanted to throw it out there. Let's go to other indications. How about uh, ankle arthritis? So advanced ankle arthritis, bone on bone, we have deformity. So that's interesting. But what about the case where we have a little deformity? What would that, where would we see weight-bearing cat skin in the future there? Tell us about intraarticular mapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, another area, so uh, we, we...
1: It's crazy. I mean, there's so much.
0: I mean, we could be here for two two weeks. <laughs> the, the cool part is that a uh, Waybear CT or Cone Bean CT, that is the real name of the technology. It's an, an enabling technology, right? So it enables you to do more stuff. And you have the image, you need a good software for analyzing bone alignment. You know, you need a software that, uh, that uh, uh, speaks to the images, that it can correlate to the images and give you distance measures, uh, that will give you area measurement, that will give you volumetric measurements. So we're talking specifically about the joint space.
1: So medially it's bone on bone, right? We see that laterally it's open. Okay, does that mean, can I do an osteotomy or do I have to do a replacement or a fusion? So Cesar's was talking about mapping that space. So we could say that it's, that there's 10% volume reduction, or that the whole medial co- medial aspect of one third of the joint is gone. The middle part is fifty percent gone. The lateral part is exactly fine.
0: So what is that? So that's yeah. uh, that's what we're talking about. Being that's the mapping. right? Uh, I Man, like calculating. That's called the technique. Is uh, known as distance mapping. So calculating the 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 like thousands of points distances in one joint. Uh, and like Dr. Shawn is saying, instead of telling patients that uh, you have a Calgar and Lawrence, for example, great classification that we used for a long time that came for a different joint, but we, we use it in the foot and ankle as well, for example, it's very subjective, right? Uh, you can't really understand. You tell the patient you have, the, I'm giving you a chew because you have osteophytes and you have less than 10% or 20% narrowing of your joint. You're you eyeballing it. If you have the map, three dimensional map with thousands of points of distance, like you mentioned, you can say the inside of your ankle is fifty percent joint space narrowing. Your the in, the lateral part of your ankle is is brand new. There's there's nothing bad there. So you can and you can divide in quadrants. You can divide as as as, as much as you want to divide, and that will give you the very specific. So like like we talked, we said before, it's about precision. You want to. Uh, ideally, we would, have, we would want to have a classification of arthritis that is precise. It gives you the percentage or the number of each part of the joint so you can define what would be your, uh, your treatment, either conservative or surgically. And also, we, we
1: do like to do joint sparing procedures. We do want to do osteotomies and there's great literature out there on osteotomies for certain grades of arthritis. And it does work. But once you get to certain gray zones, it, it may not be worthwhile. Then you've wasted an operation, and the patient then needs an anchor replacement after osteotomy. That's a really bad move, right? But we may be able to tell, and this this literature hasn't been created yet, but we may be able to tell with this pattern, with this morphology of your joint space, with this amount of volume reduction medial quadrant, Central laterally, you will do well with an osteotomy, or you will not do well, and we will. We, the literature will follow and give people advice, but right now we're just capturing that. So this is really like the, this is the 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 dawning of a new era, and it's it, it it will impact everything we do. But you know, for the regular guy, you could be overwhelmed thinking I got to measure these things. No, you don't have to measure. Them. You can see them. We're going to measure them with AI. We're going to measure them with our experts and our PhDs. We're going to prove it out with our studies around the world. And then we'll give you the specific guidelines and where your patient fits in. But right now, this is a gestalt. It's like, whoa, I see 50% based on Cesar's study. It looks like we should do an osteotomy based on Dr. study. It looks like this. We'll have guidelines, but those guidelines will be then tested and proven, and we'll be able to say with this these very specific features, you should not do an osteotomy, or these specific features, great case for an osteotomy. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you mentioned the total ankle as well. So there 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 are publications already with total ankle replacement and and malalignment uh, for the, uh, a friend of ours that I think it's gonna be in in a, in a podcast. Uh, Soon, Francois Lins from uh, France, uh, where uh, we showed that if you do have residual malalignment specifically uh, in using where's your foot and where's your ankle, uh, if, you, if we were able to find a safe zone for both the foot being medially to the ankle, that would be varus, or the foot being lateral to the ankle, that would be valgus. It's not a real angle, it's a relationship, but we found that there's a safe zone of uh Varus and valgus, or foot medial or laterally positioned to your tripod uh, that protects you from having periprosthetic cysts. So uh, I mean, the amount of uh, opportunity you have to use the technology, again, it's an enabling technology. It it enables you to see things that you couldn't see before. It enables you to work with software and other cool stuff that you couldn't do before without having three-dimensional data sets. But again, like you mentioned, you don't have to go for the detailed measurements. You, by just looking to the image, uh, running through sagittal coronals, the axial plane, or by looking to the 3D reconstruction, you can have, if you, if you know what you're looking for and if you're following the literature, you can get a lot out of it by just running through those. Now, what about another topic, bone health? This is,
1: this is uh, a little bit out of the zone of what orthopedic surgeons do but it's totally in our sweet spot. It's not now in our sweet spot because we don't really have a way to measure bone health. Is there a way currently or in the future that we can use this data to tell us about bone density and the ability to reconstruct that bone based on patterns of density, patterns of trabeculation? Is that coming? When is that coming? And, and, and how can I get one? <laughs> well, I, I, okay. Yeah.
0: I think this, a uh, uh, new, uh, recent, uh, I would say, uh, uh merge, uh, of CurveBin and now CurveBin AI with Trax is, uh, it's, is their passion is one of their passions is to look into bone health. And, uh, initially there was actually a limitation that radiologists particularly would tell us. Well, you can't really see fusion. You can't really see bone health using Cone CT, and, and I think Curve has put a lot of F, Kirby and I has put a lot of efforts into showing that that's not true, that it can actually get very uh, high quality micro CT level of image for bone health uh, that can potentially predict osteoporosis or osteopenia, maybe even better than what we currently use as bone, uh, bone densities uh, by doing... A simple cone beam CT, right? That is uh, that's also mind blowing. And then, considering the general bone health, like you said, uh, looking into the specifics of of the area where you're operating. If you're doing an ankle, if you're doing an ankle replacement, you want to know where's your better bone quality. If you're putting a, if you're doing an ankle fusion, you would prefer to put your screw where there's better bone. Uh, so, so many. again, enabling new technology, enabling new uh, assessment, new treatments. Uh, that's 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 what I think. Uh, weight bearing CT or combi CT. And we're we're
1: we're in this game. You know, I was playing with weight bearing cat for a long time without, you know, just kind of in the dark, and things were like suddenly coming out of bright lights with me. Okay. Now you you're you're in the bright lights and and but there's so many dark corners still that need to be illuminated. Um it really is just the beginning. And uh, it's so exciting that we could do so much better for our patients to know that when I look at this image, I can make my osteotomy here with this angle, with this jig, through this bone, place my screw this way. I mean, this, this could really improve patient care uh, to uh, an order of magnitude. And of course, we have to prove
0: it out and I have to prove that it makes a difference, but it, it's intuitive that it does make a difference, right? Of course, we, we don't want to go into the financial aspects of of medicine, of right, of the financial costs that specific jigs and things like that would cost to healthcare, and we have to think about it. Uh, but if you were given the opportunity as a patient and say, I, I can do this surgery financially, no restrictions, think like thinking that, uh, like dream world, right? Uh, I can do this surgery, traditional way with conventional x-rays. And I I am very experienced surgeon. I can make it happen. Uh, I'm not talking about myself, but I'm just pretending being someone else. Uh, Or uh, I can use all this enabling technology, get a weight-bearing CT, get all these very fancy measurements and and get custom specific guides for doing the osteotomies and specific guides to deformity correction. And specific potentially guys to where to put my screws and thin, all that. Uh, if you give this possibility to a patient I, I I think every single patient will choose option number one, number two, sorry. if financially uh, there's no restrictions for that, uh, of course, if we can show that it it truly makes difference in outcomes, that is our our duty. I mean it's our mission and and I think where we have to go. Uh, then I do think we're going to get there for the majority of the things, but there's some stuff that we might find that it doesn't make a difference, and then we don't have to do. Uh, but if you give those options to patients, I think they would go with the the more information you have, the better clarity, the better judgment, the better treatment you're going to be able to at least aim to provide to the patient. I think they would go. They would all go for that.
1: Right. And 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 if we look at cost, of course. You're getting a cat scan. There's a cost of cat scan. You're getting X-rays. a cost of X-ray. Okay, it's 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 not far off. I mean, we're 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 not really adding a lot to the package, right? Well, it depends on if you're gonna get a cat scan. If you're gonna get images, we're not too far off. We're not okay. But let's say you weren't gonna get it. So that's where the big difference is. What? How do we justify it in theory? Well, in theory. When I think about failed surgery, I mean, a failed surgery, going back to the OR, doing more reconstructions, revision fusions, revision osteotomies, tremendous cost, not just because of hospitalization and my time, but also to the patient and their time, to their life, to their function. They're no longer providing for their family or their friends or their community. They're out of commission. Three months. What's the cost of that? Yeah, right. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, you, you can't estimate the cost. And then the cost to society for that pa- that patient being out of commission, is 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 pretty impressive. So so even though we we have to prove this out, in theory, if we could take one patient, and and, and give him a better surgery that avoids a revision, we can save thirty thousand dollars, and you add to that their income. For those three months, it may be another 30,000. It may even be more. It depends on what they do. But I think you know this is what we have to prove. It's what the next generation will be encountering, that they have to prove. But all this is now open with Curvebeam AI, with, with a company that is dedicated to making things better for patients, making things more clear for doctors, giving us better tools for diagnosis for therapeutics to predict outcomes. This is what the future will be and this company is going to take us there. And we're very thankful to have the partnership. We're very thankful to have young, energetic, brilliant people like Cesar Cesar Jimenez out there hitting these home runs. It's 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 all critical to the package and we feel very blessed. We thank you for watching this podcast or listening to this podcast. And we're looking forward to giving you more with the next podcast on different topics related to CurveBeam AI. So thank you very much. Thank you, Las Vegas. Thank you, CurveBeam. Thank you, Cesar. for having me.